everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast. I'm Dave Stovall, your host, and I'm glad that you're going to be joining me today. Hey, I'm excited about today's episode because it features the previous podcast host, Chad Harrington. Love that guy. Good friend of mine. He and Jim Putman are talking to us today about their brand new book, The Revolutionary Disciple, which is available now. This is going to be an awesome episode. Before we jump in, hey, I want to remind you, we have a promo going on right now where you can get 50% off of your purchase price of a ticket to the National Disciple Making Forum. That's coming up pretty quickly, November 4th and 5th here in Nashville, Tennessee. So go to discipleship.org and use the promo code podcast, all lowercase, to receive a massive discount for that. All right, let's jump in and listen to Chad and Jim. Hey guys, I'm Chad Harrington. This is Jim Putman. And we wrote a book called The Revolutionary Disciple. Uh, it's called Walking Humbly with Jesus in Every Area of Life. And it is available for sale. So uh, you can go to the revolutionarydisciple.com or you can go to the link in the description of the show. But what we wanted to do today, and by the way, it's a discipleship.org resource. So um Discipleship.org basically finds content that helps equip disciple makers, and and they support that. And they've partnered with us, uh, with Jim and I, over the last few years, actually, as we've written this. And we are, it's like, man, for such a time as this, we believe, and we don't say this lightly, we we believe in our hearts, and we'll see based on the fruit that the Lord has given us a message for the church that is totally in alignment with scripture. In fact, it's based on scripture. And we believe that um, that there's a message about humility that the church needs today. So Jim and I want to talk to you about that message. Um, so the name of the book obviously hints towards what we're talking about. We want to kind of unpack the message today. You know, why this message? Why now? Um, so Jim, I just kind of wanted to ask you, you know, about our message. Um, you know, what is it about this message that that is so important for the church today? Well, right now, everybody's uh, at least many people across the country are talking about a new revolution. You know, is it time for another revolution as our country has gotten further and further away from the founding fathers, as it's gotten further and further away from scriptural values um, you know, the old statement, a house divided against itself can't stand. And there are a lot of people that are up in arms and, and, and actually talking about a new revolution. And I agree. I think we both agree that it is time for a new revolution. But the question is, what kind of revolution? What, what I perceive and, you know, both of us have perceived in um, our different age brackets, you know, you're quite a bit younger than I am is America has uh, pursued and valued pride. Uh, we, we have seen an increase. I mean, pride's a problem for human beings. It always has been. Starts in the garden, not wanting God to decide, not trusting God, wanting to trust ourselves instead. Pride's always been a, a, a part of it, but pride 
in beating our chest and we're the most important and I'm right and judging others and and um, vitriol and anger and frustration, beating our chest. That's all. I mean, it's it's valued and it's honored. It's celebrated. And in the Christian churches, uh, division and, um, you know, pride in every part of our life, which impacts our ability to love and to serve and to be who Jesus calls us to be is at stake. And so, you know, the theme of this is, yeah, we do need a new revolution, but the kind of revolution we need is a revolution of our own hearts and souls as individuals to say, we're going to be more like Jesus, who was a different kind of revolutionary. Right. Yeah. And we'll talk about what is revolutionary about the way of Jesus, because it's it's counterintuitive, right? So we'll get into that. Um but part of the big deal is, and this is why we partner with discipleship.org, this is a discipleship issue. In other words, it's not just sort of some characteristic that you can add to your life so that you can feel better or that so your life will work better. Humility is a core characteristic of a disciple. Yeah. In other words, it's not a tag on, it's not, it's not even at the bottom of the list. In fact, in our research, um, Jerry Bridges, who wrote The Blessing of Humility, he he did research um, that we included in the book, and he basically said, I've counted up the characteristics of what we're called to be in the New Testament. And he said, second only to love is humility. And yet, like Jim, you were saying, so many people, I mean, really put it on the back burner. They put it they put it in the garage, they put it on the shelf in the garage. It's like, it's like, it doesn't even matter at all. And, and then Jesus comes along and he says, come to me all who are weary and burdened, you know, dot, dot, dot. I'm humble in heart. So when we talk about the revolutionary disciple, I think it's important to say, yes, we're talking about a revolution. Yeah. But also and, and we need to be revolutionary, but Jesus is the revolutionary disciple. It's not me, Jim. It's not any of us unless we're in Christ. And then we have the ability to be like him. So, you know, I, I, kind of the thesis of our message is this, that without humility, discipleship fails. In fact, Jim and I, when we first started working on this book, it was three years ago. And the first title that we came up with for the book um, was a little bit more uh, edgy, maybe even like dark. It was the death of discipleship. You loved that, didn't you, Jim? I did. Yeah. Yeah. I would say if you're going to right now, discipleship.org, the Relational Discipleship Network, we, our message, our main message is the mission of the church is to make disciples. Okay, well, if you're going to make disciples, then you have to I, you have to decide what is a mature disciple. And um, Jesus said all along the prophets hang on two commands, love God, love others. He boils it all down to loving God, loving others. And in so doing, he's saying this is what it looks like to be mature in Christ. Now, go make disciples baptizing them, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Obey the commands which result in love. 
love for God and love for others. It's, it, it, every command is about restoring us to our design, protecting us from ourselves and, and from sin. It's all about love. Now, you know, you said Jerry Bridges said that next to, to love, humility is second. I would say um, if you define love as an act of the will to lay down your life for another, to give another what they need rather than what they deserve at the expense of ourselves, without humility, there is no love. Yeah. Love actually says, I'm going to value you above me. And so that's humility. And so if you're going to be a mature disciple who loves, it's because you're humble. You're a servant. Jesus is the perfect example of a lover who is the perfect example of a humble uh, being. God is humble. I mean, and he came down here and humbled himself and took on the nature of a man, you know, rather than holding on to his divine rights, he took on flesh, right? And and even to the point of death, he came. And, and it's because he loved us. And I think the reason we the reason that we kind of like that death of discipleship title was because um here was the point in Matthew 28, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go. And go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey. And so here's why I like that title initially, although I think this is a more timely one. If I won't go into the world, because Jesus says all authority has been given to me, therefore go. If I won't go into the world to make disciples, then the discipleship dies, right? If, 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 if nobody goes... Because there's a lack of humility. I don't want to go. I want you, God, to serve me and to make me comfortable. God says, no, I saved you for this. Now go, and you won't go. It's the death of discipleship. If you do go, but you haven't learned love and humility, then Jesus said to the Pharisees, you make more a son of hell than you yourself are. You, you were making bad disciples. If I go and I am humble like trying to be like Christ as I grow and I will baptize, I will go, I will baptize, I will teach, but you refuse to be taught. You refuse to accept Christ as savior and Lord. So you want to check a box. You want to say, I like the baptism part because then I can check a box. And I don't want to be taught to obey. If you refuse to learn, then it's the death of discipleship in your life. So without humility, because I won't go, I won't follow, I won't, uh, I won't be humble, or I won't learn. In every one of those cases, it's the death of discipleship. Right. And I think it's important that we talk about what is humility. And so obviously there's different ways to conceptualize it. But the essence of humility as we talk about it and as we see it in scripture is this, coming under. In other words, um, we don't equate it with submission, but humility leads to being a submissive person, not a passive person, but submissive in the sense of being a disciple. I mean, you know, the, the problem that we solve with this book, and obviously we don't solve it, but the problem that we seek to resolve and help people with is what do we do with authority when we have pride. In other words, we want to be faithful disciples. And look, here's the deal. We all have great motives. I mean, you might be a pastor, a lay leader. 
you might be a parent, not even necessarily a leader. And it's like, look, truly, all I want to do is love God with everything I have. But then you find these things like in your life surfacing. And it's like, why did I get so angry? You know, and then James tells us it's uh, these factions and fights between you are from desires from within. Well, what Jim and I have found, and obviously, <laughs> we if you kind of think through it, it's like a lot of this comes from pride. Yeah. And so, yeah, you can jump in there, Jim. Yeah, well, I, I'm, as I was writing this book, you know, here, here's what I, it, to me, I was just talking to one of our staff members today, you know, the old game whack-a-mole, where the mole sticks his head up and you whack it? The arcade, yeah. Yeah. That's my life. My pride shows up in ways that I hate, that I can't even see to hate. Yeah. And I, because of my sinful nature, it keeps, I, you know, we don't write this book from the perspective of we've got it solved. We, we do know that pride's a problem and we have it. That's why we're writing about it. <laughs> right. And we've got this disease from fallen man, this sinful, prideful nature. And, and you know, it doesn't matter how long you've been walking with the Lord. You know, uh, you can fall and, and find yourself stuck and, and defensive and angry. And pride kills relationship with God and it kills relationship with others, which is why there's this ongoing, you know, if you claim to be without sin, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. But if you confess your sin is faithful and just forgive you of all unrighteousness, there's this journey to go. I blew it. I become judgmental of others. Like my sin doesn't stink and theirs does. I, I'm defensive because I'm right. And you just be fine if you just listen to me. Uh, or there's the other side of it where I'm self-focused. Poor me. I should have done better. I did. I, I, you know, the shame and the guilt because it's all me. And self-focus is still a form of pride, even though it doesn't sound the same as look at me. It, it, it it, it sounds different. It says, poor me, but it's still me. And right. so this is the condition we have. As we grow in Christ, we're recognizing the condition. We're asking the Holy Spirit and the people of God to help us fight the battle, the conflict that's going on inside of us. And as we go on, there's changes in our life that makes us more humble. But don't get enough sleep. Don't eat the right thing. Don't stay consistent abiding in Christ. We could find ourselves right back on the path of destruction in our own lives. Right. And I'm a, I'm a really faithful disciple when I feel great. Yeah. It's, it's when, when God I'm agrees faithful. with me and we're going a direction I understand and agree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When, in other words, when I'm not challenged either by someone or by life, I'm great. I'm good to go. I've got a great attitude. But when we're confronted by truth, we're confronted by a friend, we're confronted by an enemy or even just a life circumstance, things come out sideways that maybe we haven't dealt with. But essentially, kind of like you were saying, Jim, pride is defined as we're, we're defining it at the core as a me focus. So like you said, Jim, it can either be, hey, look at me or there's maybe the more introverted person who literally doesn't want to be seen, 
because they're thinking about themselves. And maybe God is calling them into the spotlight. That was something interesting that I that I read in a book by Anonymous. I think it was written by Francis Chan. I'll just put it out there. But it was called Embracing Obscurity is the name of the book. And it says that, you know, the the life of discipleship in some ways is really obscure. It's like monotonous. No one sees it, all this stuff. But then part of obscurity sometimes means that we enter the spotlight only to point the light back at the Lord. And so a truly humble person doesn't mean that they're not on stage. It doesn't mean that they're not on the podcast. They're not up front. They're not leading. Humility means that they're not focused on themselves. And so I think that that's really important. And so where it comes into discipleship, and I think that this is really a huge point, is that discipleship begins and ends with the authority of Christ. And this term authority, I mean, is almost like a swear word now. If anyone claims to have authority or they act like they're the authority, it's like, oh, who do you think you are? And then Jesus comes along and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And the 21st century postmodern is like, let's stone him, you know. But he, yet he was humble, right? How do you say all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me and be the most humble man who had ever lived? Yeah. That's the paradox that is Christ. And so, Jim, I know you talk a lot about, I mean, with the Relational Discipleship Network, with Real Life Ministries, you talk a lot about what is a disciple. So I'm, I want you to share a little bit about the authority of Christ and the necessity of humility in Matthew 4.19. Yeah, we, we, everybody talks about discipleship, but oftentimes uh, they define it in different ways. And, you know, as a sports guy, like football, if you don't have a common language in the huddle um, and people don't understand, you know, what, the, what you're saying so that they get it and they know their role, then it doesn't matter how much talent you have, you lose on the, at the line of scrimmage. So we were like, okay, we want to have, if we're going to be a movement, then we have to have some clear definitions we share. And so we said, all right, what's a, what's a great verse that kind of explains what discipleship is in a simple term that's expandable. And so we, we say Matthew 419, um, it gives us not only the definition but also a methodology is embedded within it. It's come and follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. We say in the invitation is the definition. Jesus said to these guys, come and follow me. And I'm going to make you, I'll take you as you are, I'm going to make you into something. And you're going to be fishers of men. You're going to be people who, who seek out my will. You're going to make disciples. Going back to later on, Matthew 28, 19, go and make disciples. So come and follow me and I will take you as you are, but I'm going to change you into people who are on mission with me. So we say a disciple is following Jesus. He's being changed by Jesus. And, and, and following Jesus has to do with the head or the authority. We're going to follow him. If you're, if you're not following Jesus, you're not a disciple of Jesus. He doesn't come to you and say, I want to save you. He says, yes, I'm going to save you. Now follow me. If you're not following, you're not saved. If you're not being changed by him, right? Then you're not a disciple of Jesus because we're being conformed in the likeness of Christ. We're being transformed by the renewing of our mind. Jesus is changing who we are. And that change has everything to do with the heart, loving God, loving others. He's changing you into people who love God and love others. 
And then you're committed to the mission of Christ. And then in that, as I said, there's a methodology. He said, come, come be with me. And, um, and so Jesus said, this is how you're going to make disciples. You're going to do it in relationship because the end game is it's people who are in relationship with God in relationship with others in relationship. You learn relationship. And so, um, you know, it comes down to this, though. Again, we've we've preached a gospel. I love what Bill Hull and those guys do in Bonhoeffer. Right. And it, it, what many have done, we preach a gospel that doesn't entail following Jesus. Um, and it leads to people who check a box, who don't reach people, they're not changed, they're living for this world with hell insurance. And that is absolutely opposite of scripture. We've got into this dilemma because we rebelled against God in the garden. We've been living with the impact ever since. God comes to us and said, hey, have you had enough of this yet? Are you done? leading your own life, sitting on the throne of your own heart. Look around. Will you follow me? Because in eternity, the kingdom of heaven is ruled by a king. And we are saying we want to be in the kingdom of heaven underneath the authority of Christ, because that's the best place to be. I love that you're saying that that's the best place to be, because, you know, like I was saying, authority is treated like some negative. Well, here's why. It's because people in authority outside of Christ, and sadly sometimes in Christ, abuse authority. Yeah. It's like, yeah. You know, I, I heard it said that postmodernism is a rejection in part of authority. That's one of the core principles of, of that philosophy and that way of viewing life. Well, why? It's because authority has been abused. But when we come to Christ, his authority is good and life-giving, and is for us. You know, it's rare, truth be told, to find a leader who is truly for those following him or her. A lot of times, you know, it's like, oh, finally I'm king of the castle, and then you shove everyone down so you can stay as king of the castle. But in Christ, it's all inverted. The the one who's great is actually at the bottom and lifts up those and that's why that's why the authority of Christ is so is so great because even Christ amazingly enough was not focused on himself in the sense of serve me come to me like even when he said come follow me it's cuz following him was the best thing for everybody and so when we embrace the call to discipleship like you were talking about which i think is super helpful from Matthew 4:19 come follow me and i will make you fishers of men you know, well, that was at the beginning of the discipleship journey for those core 12. And by the end of Matthew, the very last verses, Jesus says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, therefore go. And so what Jim and I have found, and we want to share this with you, is that it's like, okay, we've begun to focus on the being a disciple part, you know, in in a lot of ways in churches, which is amazing. You know, that's awesome that discipleship is a buzzword, that there's conferences about it. And, you know, like discipleship.org's national conference every year. But then, so it's like, okay, the call to discipleship is clear. And we re- we're reading the Gospels differently than we used to, historically speaking, as Protestants and, and, and other denominations and other movements. We're reading the Gospels not as a, 
sort of theological track so we can get saved and have that hell insurance like Jim's talking about. We're reading the gospels for, oh my goodness, this is how I live. In other words, it's not just about getting to heaven one day when we die. It's also about the fact that the kingdom of God is a reality that's already and not just not yet. And so, but here's the problem. So we, we, we begin to read the gospels differently as a discipleship manual. And then we get to the end of it and it's Matthew 28 and we read, wow, go, I better go then. But it's like, hold on. Like, have you been formed? Have you been humbled? Are you a loving person? Because here's the deal. We replicate in those we disciple what we are. And here's the deal. I think we've planted a lot of churches in the past. I think we've made a lot of disciples when, when we weren't ready for it. Now, so let me, let me say this. God still works with our imperfect efforts. Sure. And I think that's really important because it's like, no, no one's ready to have biological kids when they have them, right? It's like, oh, what do I do with this human, you know? No, there's another one. Uh, you know, God's so gracious, but here's the deal. Doesn't mean we should be irresponsible. We should be formed. We should become actually more loving, humble, patient, kind, gentle people. So what's missing in between Matthew chapter 4 and Matthew 28, and this is really the heart of our message, is Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. And I think that that's a great message because number one, he says, come to me. He doesn't start with, hey, everybody, pull up your bootstraps and try harder. He says, come to me, come into relationship with me. You know, we started together and we're going to finish together. But in between, he says, come. And then he says, learn from me. So Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30 is truly and deeply a discipleship passage because the root word in Greek for learn is related to being a disciple. So he says, learn from me. Um, well, he says, take my yoke upon you and, and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart. And so um, I think it's really cool that he, again, he goes to the heart of it. He doesn't say, so learn the, the, the practical ways to become humble. He says, learn my heart. Now, take my yoke upon you means work, right? So we're doing work, uh, which is an important message. Discipleship takes work. Jesus invites us into work, and it feels like work a lot of time. But the amazing part is that he also says, and I will give you rest. It's like, hold on, Jesus. This is actually kind of nuanced here. Like, what are you actually saying, you know? He says, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. So here's, here's what I want to say about that. I think that there's a lot of people who are doing this church thing, or they're uh, trying discipleship. They're learning spiritual formation practices, and it only feels like work. And it's discouraging when it's like that. And here's the deal. That's what's called legalism. It's when we try and do it on our own, apart from relationship with Christ, apart from the heart of Christ. And the beautiful thing, if you feel stuck between, it's like, okay, I've accepted the call to follow Jesus, and I want to make disciples, but like... I just don't feel like I'm there yet. And here's the thing. 
maybe you're not there yet in a sense. Maybe there's a deeper heart level that Christ wants to take you that will both make you a more faithful disciple and a more effective disciple maker. And here's the deal. It doesn't mean you should like opt out of the position you're in or like abandon the disciples you're making, right? It's actually the opposite of that in a lot of circumstances. It's like, do you think Peter was ready to make disciples? No, but that's kind of the point you learn on the job. And I think one of the things that we can say when we're, when we're on this discipleship journey is, and this is a huge piece of humility that we talk about in the book is, man, I messed up. Like, or I have been trying to do this on my own and I realized Christ invites me into relationship and I've been kind of a legalist. I need the heart. That actually is how you make disciples. Jim, you always talk about um, you learn relationship in relationship. I think that's such a powerful message. And I think it's true with us in Christ. But then it also becomes true with us and those we're discipling is that uh, you don't have to arrive. You learn as you're on a journey. So, you know, the, the subtitle of the book is walking humbly with Jesus in every area of life. And I love the fact that we talk about walking humbly because it's a journey. I want Jim, if you would talk about that a little bit in your heart about, about the journey aspect. Well, I think what you said there, I want to catch that. When we're making so many people, when you're making disciples, you're trying to be qualified and good enough to be, be, you know, to be in the role of disciple maker. We're never supposed to be making disciples of us. We're supposed to be making disciples of Jesus. He's the hero. We're the disciples. I love one of the things that really stood out to me about the New Testament when I wasn't a believer was that it wasn't written by Jesus. It was written by the disciples who told on themselves. There are so many embarrassing stories in in the New Testament for the disciples that they, why would they write that about themselves? (laughs) It's because they weren't the hero. Jesus was the hero. And they were like, yep, I did this. I did that. I blew it. I had to say, I was sorry. I had to come back and act. That's the way we ought to be doing this. Right. When you're, when you're trying to make a disciple, you're trying your hardest, but you, when you blow it, you go, yep, I blew it. I was out of line right there. Uh, I'm not coming with this. Uh, I'm going to be Jesus, and it's on me to be the hands of Jesus to you. No, it's on me, yes, to grow and point to Jesus and go, Jesus is growing me like he's growing you. We, When I don't know or I did it wrong, I, I have to say I'm sorry. And you might even have to call me on it. I'm not the expert who's working in your life. You get to say some things to me, too, and we got to work through that. And, and so that is a key component of all this. Right. And, and the kind of the whole thing is pride before the fall. Uh, when you see a pastor or a leader or just any person fall, it is because of pride yeah. or not. Like every time, what form of pride? Well, pick your flavor. But here's the deal. There are really specific, clearly defined practices of humility. And one of them is confession. Yep. And we, we, we elaborate that in the different spheres of the, in the book. We're but. watching pastors right now. One of the things that really bothers me is there's this whole podcast out right now on the fall of Mars Hill, right? Yeah. And their pastors are falling all over the place. There always has been. To just judge them now as though it could never happen to us, to go as though we somehow can't fall in pride. 
all of us do every day when I go home and I'm not kind to my wife because I'm tired and I haven't considered where she's at with the kids all day long. When I come to work, I mean, it, let's just go like this. Listen, everybody in the New Testament and the Old Testament failed. Every one of them. Right. Uh, the Bible is not a story of great men. It's a story of a great God in spite of stupid men. Every one of the people fell. People fall. And so am I condoning falling? No. But when you, do, when you see somebody fall, do you judge it? You go, oh, there's a cautionary tale. You know, well, you learn what you can from it, but you recognize real quickly that you can fall too. That you, and, and when somebody's fallen, that's discipline in their life. Mm -hmm. God's doing, but God wants to lift them back up like he did King David, right? Like he did Peter. You know, he wants to lift them back up. So are we a part of pointing and judging and accusing and acting like we're better? Or are we a part of, of humility as Christ died on the cross for them and wants to lift them back up, never just destroy them? And so humility is a part of, of all that we're walking with. And again, this is hard for me because I can I'm competitive, you know, and I can go right to you know, well, they did this and that's why this is going on. And, you know, and I can go, uh, you know, and it, what does it look like to walk humbly with the people I'm discipling and to be grace givers? And, and again, telling the truth out of love, but not from a, a position of pride as though I've never fallen, but as a brother who's been down that road, maybe not that exact form, but it's painful. And that's not what God wants for you. And, uh, and, and rather than being critical, with a critical spirit and accusatory, as a brother who's fallen and will struggle again, brother, let's get back up, right? Let's be an encouragement. I want to take a quick break and tell you about something cool happening over at discipleship.org. It's our discipleship.org collective. It's an online community for disciples and disciple makers. And if you fit in either one of those categories, then the collective is designed just for you. The website itself is super cool because it's basically like stepping into a virtual church building with a welcome center, an auditorium for our main events, and even classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective with all of its webinars, seminars, ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you personally or for your whole church. And this is a community. So you can also have the opportunity to connect with other disciple makers. And while membership is free, there's also a premium access option, which includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So head on over to discipleship.org slash collective and sign up for your free membership today. Jim, I'm glad you brought that podcast up. It's called the rise and fall of Mars Hill. And I'm, I just started listening to it. I'm on episode two and I'm just, I, I don't know what I think about it yet. I think there's a place to talk about failure and to point out why and to understand, okay, what went wrong here? I think there's a place for that, but a lot. And what we talk about when we're having this conversation about the revolutionary disciple is it's not always what you technically do. Like, I think there's a way to do a podcast like that with humility. I don't know yet if they do. It's for me. It's yeah, and I, I I haven't watched it because okay. here's my problem. And it, maybe they do. And maybe I'm judging the podcast, right? Maybe I'm breaking my own rules. 
But I just don't need right now. There's enough guys that are falling out there yeah. and it's a discouraging enough world. Right. And, and I'm watching like, um, I went turkey hunting one time and there was a flock of turkeys and I shot a turkey with the bow and it went down. And I, you, this is true. The rest of the turkeys attacked it and pecked it to death. They weren't scared because it was a bow. They didn't hear it. They just beat it to death. And I'm like, hey, and I come running out in the middle and I'm trying to get the turkeys away from my turkey there because they got tail feathers. I want I want these tail feathers and they're just destroying my turkey. I think about that's what I see. Right. And these people judging and pointing fingers at. And again, we need to be to say, hey, there's right and wrong ways to do things. And we need to encourage people to do the right things. But this pride that we see, um, even with what's going on with Joe Biden right now, the Republicans just picking him apart. Yeah. Again, I think some great failures happen. And I and I I see all kinds of this. I just and I'm not saying you shouldn't say wrong is wrong. I just what is my heart? Am I doing this from pride? Yeah. Um, am I doing this from love for him? Am I? I just I just want to be careful in my own spirit. And I go places real quick. I shouldn't go. So I'm not coming here going, hey, I didn't do it. There are days where I want to choke the government, whoever's in charge of this or that. And I'm like, if I was in charge, I would do this. And, and, and I really believe that it would be different. I think some of the beliefs they have have led to the problems we have. I'm not saying it's OK what yeah. they did. I'm just saying is the Holy Spirit works on me first and gets my heart right so that I respond correctly. And when I'm coming with anger and judgment and all those things, there's something missing in here. And I always want him to do that in me first. Yeah. And I'm with you, Jim, because it's like, look, sometimes I pretend that, uh, you know, it's my dad because scripture talks about uh, restoring an older man like you would gently with your father. And that's a really interesting passage because it's a, it's extrapolating this honor of your father or mother that's scriptural and saying we need we need to apply that to people who've kind of lost their way in that in that context it was a sinful person well and and that we're trying to restore and it's like well how would you talk to your father how would you talk to your mother would you just run them up and down and that's called dishonoring them and that's well, that, yeah. That's kind of like their position is your parent. It's kind of like we owe them. So even if they're wrong and obviously our parents are wrong, obviously the government is wrong sometimes because they're human. That's not the point. In fact, that should be expected. The point is how, how, what heart. And Jesus says, I am humble in heart. I love that fact. You, how do you, how do you learn to be to have a certain kind of heart. Well, there's no formula. There's not like a seven steps to having a humble heart. It's a relationship. Now there's things you can do, but I really think it has to do with the this respect of the position. It's like, yes, Joe Biden, I believe as well that he's made mistakes. I don't believe he's acting humbly when he makes his mistakes. Uh, I have not seen him confess. I didn't see Trump confess either. Um, and so it's like that humility comes from the top, too. But here's the deal. If we are slandering people, 
where's our heart at? Are we better than them? I've heard many Christians say um, that when it comes to politics, the scriptures don't apply. Right. Ephesians four, don't let any unwholesome talk comes out, come out of your mouth, except that that which encourages or benefits the other. Right. Um, First Timothy and second Timothy, you know, uh, gently instruct those who oppose you do so with gentleness. Right. It's somehow there's spheres of our life that we don't have to be Christ like, you know, some people go, well, Jesus accused the Pharisees. Well, first of all, Jesus knows things. He's the judge. He can accuse who he wants, right? Jesus can say things that he wants. He's God. He knows the heart. So when he accuses somebody like calling the Pharisees, the son of devil, he knows things about them. I don't know. Right. Jesus said, the Bible talks about that. Not even angels blaspheme demonic forces, right? Uh, but only there's judgments that the Lord has to make, and, and I have to try to be careful, and I failed at this many times. But I, one of the things that I think you and I were talking about was when it comes to politics. Right now, we part of the reason I think this is a timely discussion is I'm watching Christians, and rightly so. We, I mean, we, we prize... We, we are proud of the revolution, right? Uh, we're, as Protestants, we protested against the Catholic Church, right? We are protesters and revolutionaries. Um, and, okay, I'm, I'm, I believe we should have said no to the Catholic Church. And I believe that there are times to, to, to have a revolution. But how and in what way, and I'm, I, like, you know, we talk about, in the book, you know, in North Idaho, we got a bumper sticker on one side. It says, if you want my gun, you're going to have to pry it out of my cold, dead fingers. And next to it says, my boss is a Jewish carpenter. And you got people that are going, you know, First Amendment rights, Second Amendment rights. They've got all these things, but they didn't quote scripture one time. And I'm not saying there's not a place to stand up and even a place to defend and fight. I'm not a pacifist in that sense. Um, others have differing opinions on that, and that's okay. Just be consistent. But but the question for me is, when are Christians actually quoting Scripture and applying it? Uh, you can't act as a Romans thirteen and First Peter five don't exist. All authority has been given by God, and to, to reject it is to reject God. You can't act like that's not there. There is a time and a place to say no, but you've got to bring it into the equation. And I don't hear many people, even in Christian churches right now, bringing scripture in. And and even when you fight, there's a place to fight. You don't fight like the devil for the things of God, though. There is a right way to fight. And, And so part of this revolutionary disciples to say we need to be revolutionary, but in a different kind of way, which may impact the physical realm that we're in. There may be some things we need to stand on and do and even potentially fight. But it should be the last thing you do. If you're walking around going, I hope you do something wrong so I can shoot you. I hope you break into my house so I can shoot you. You know, there is a problem with people who want to fight and hurt people and see people as the enemy rather than we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. You know, we are called to be different kinds of people and Christians are firmly entrenched right now on planet earth. And they're not really 
thinking about heaven, eternal things, spiritual things. And, and that's part of why I wanted to write this book with you. Yeah, well, and when we started writing it three years ago, we, we didn't realize what would kind of matriculate over the coming years. Um, and it's almost like, okay, wow. Like, it's it's not like it's gone away. Obviously, pride's always been there, but we're seeing it take a new form because here's the deal. Powers are clashing, um, you know. And so one of the things you brought up, Jim, I think is important. So we've talked about walking humbly with Jesus, right? So it's this journey, not of arriving, but of growing, not of perfection, but of progress towards Christ-likeness as a disciple, walking humbly with Jesus. But here's the rest of the subtitle of the book. And I think that this is really important to talk about that you hit on in every area of life. Now, I think that this is somewhat controversial because I think a lot of people silo their different sort of spheres of, of life. And so, um, Jim, you, your team at RDN and at Real Life Ministries, you talk about the five spheres of discipleship. So there's the first sphere, you know, kind of moves centrifugally. So it's the first sphere is abiding with Christ. Um, that's kind of a, 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 a sphere of life that we exist in, right? Our relationship with Christ one-on-one. And then there's this life in the church. Um, so it's a sphere. It's like we, it's not just going to church, but it's church life, which, which involves those relationships with Christians in a local congregation. But then you've got the home life, right? So someone might follow Christ really well at church and put on their happy face and have great devos, but it's like, they're a little hellion when it comes to um, their home life. They're a terrible parent and spouse. And it's like, ah. Oh. The in-laws hate everyone, but you're great at church. So there's these different spheres, maybe even different layers of the onion. And some people leave leave some areas unsanctified or untouched by what God wants to do. They exclude it from discipleship. Well, then the fourth sphere is moving into the world. And so this is where we live, work, and play. And that's where you, I think you importantly talked about. Some people just exclude the world sphere. In other words, where we, where we go to work, how we interact with a police officer, or how we uh, vote or, you know, whatever. We just sort of say, well, that's totally separate from our relationship with God. But we don't find that in scripture. In fact, we find the opposite. Honor the king, you know, respect the emperors. What? And then, you know, the governmental authorities have been established by God in Romans 13. It's like, oh my goodness wait, hold on. This is all integrated. And then we get to the fifth sphere, which is more of a metasphere. Um, It's called the spiritual realm. And really it involves all the spheres. So it kind of encompasses all of them. And, And even here, there's authorities and powers to which we should come under, namely God, (laughs) but also, you know, there's, there's other authorities in the heavenly realms you know, angels and and things like this. But then on the other side, there's principalities, there's demons, there's Satan himself that have real authority, not just sort of pretend power or, or, you know, puppets on a string. That's actually a battle, right? Paul talks about that in Ephesians chapter six, and, and we read about that elsewhere. So there's these real powers. Well, that requires humility too, is, is really what our message is is if we don't respect the powers that be and we sort of flippantly run around kind of doing whatever we want, we're going to be caught with, you know, we're going to be caught 
we're going to fall and we're going to get hurt. Um, I think that's that's the, the story of several people in scripture. It's like, dude, just because you use the name of Jesus doesn't mean you're scot-free, you, you know, so it's complicated. So what does it look like to walk humbly in all areas of life? And the analogy that I like to use that I found really helpful is because a lot of people say, you know, it's like, okay, um, what are you saying? I got to be perfect. And it's like, no, that's not what I'm saying. But um, Christ doesn't just want part of our life. He wants the whole thing. And that's very clear when the great commandment, Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with part of your strength. No, it's like with all your strength. Well, but then there's a footnote that says, but only in certain areas of life. No, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, everything you have for everything. And we find that repeatedly throughout scripture. Do we find Jesus compartmentalizing? Absolutely not. He is consistent from eternity past through his life on earth, in the body, and into life everlasting. And that is the one we follow, a fully integrated person. And so, you know, we can't sort of say, well, um, I'm a radio talk show host here, or uh, you know, I, I work as a bank teller there, or I'm on staff at a church, so I've got my discipleship quota. But when I go home, it's like, uh, well, I pray for my kids, you know. It's like, it's too late. They're 13 and 15. No, man. Every area of life, we're called to walk humbly and not just a one-time thing. It's a journey. And so, this is really the heart of our message is the revolutionary disciple is Christ. And he invites us into that. (laughs) And another thing that I like to talk to people about is this. It's like, okay, wow, it's kind of a high standard, you know, to be revolutionary, to walk. And and Ephesians chapter four says, be completely humble. Wait, was that a typo? It's like, what do you mean completely humble? And then you look up different translations and it's like, oh no, it's all the same. (laughs) Be totally, walk with total, it's like, man, I can't escape that one. Can we move on to the cool, cool stuff about being equipped? It's like, before we get to Ephesians chapter four, verses 11 to 16, where it says, and Christ appointed some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Before we get to that cool part, let's get to that hard part that says, walk in all humility. It's like, man, how do I do that? And here's, here's the analogy that I use. And I just want to encourage you guys with this as we end is it, he's not, God's not saying be, be flawless. You got to be totally humble all the time. No mistakes. It's like, no, no. What he means is yield every aspect of your life to me because I'm Lord of it all. So, you know, he says, Christ says, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. He's Lord, even of our rest, even of our day off we're called to be humble disciples who submit to the authority of Christ. But here's the deal. It's really cool to think about. And this is kind of an analogy from the nineties with the Billy Graham crusade. They talked about my heart is his house or the house of my heart. And I I remember really latching onto that. And I think that's really applicable. So think of it like this, that as disciples of Jesus, even as we continue to make disciples, Total humility, total surrender to Christ, which involves humility, means that every house 
Every room in the house of our heart is open to the Lord. There is no closet, and this room has a bunch of closets for some reason. There's no closet, no bathroom, no nook, no cranny, no space in the attic or the garage that is closed off to the access and the authority of God. It's all open to his reign. That's what sanctification is. That's what total discipleship is. It, it, you know, sometimes it's like, oh man, I forgot that I had a bunch of papers stacked in this closet. It's like, it's not so much that you are rebellious as it is, you know, you're still overcoming your sinful nature. But if you open the closet and you see that mess and you shut it and you say, God, no, 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 you can't go in there. That's called pride. That's called non-discipleship. The problem is not that there's a mess. The problem is, is when we do not allow God in that area of our life. And so as we seek to be humble disciples, we say, God, you can have it all. Yep. And as we're trying to do that, we're aspiring to that. We're in conflict with our sinful nature and we do not do what we want. We fail. And that's where the constant remembrance of communion and And uh, the grace, the ongoing grace, I'm a child of God. And though I hate my sin, I still struggle with it. Romans 7, right? Uh, Thanks be to God who forgives me. And that leads me, that that stumbling around and bumbling around and God's constant grace leads to me to be a grace-filled person with other people. (laughs) And, uh, you know, know, one of the things we said in there, and I, I think, you know, this would be a great way to kind of close it off. You show me a person who's walking around proud, I'll show you a person who hasn't spent much time in the throne room of God. Hmm. And you look at, uh, you know, um, Isaiah, he's in the throne room of God. He's a prophet of God. As soon as he's in there and he sees God, he's like, I'm an unclean man, unclean lips and unclean people, and he's undone. I'm ruined. When you spend time with the Lord and you realize how great he is and you're looking at yourself, you're like, wow. But then you're also reminded that he sends the angel, takes tongs, comes and atones for us. And that's what Jesus does, which makes us kind of a more winsome, not legalistic, not perfect, but humble so that I can go and be humble and love others well with the same love God gives to me. And uh, that's that's the kind of person that um, bears with other people's faults, you know, looks past faults. It doesn't look to point them out to it, but, but humbly says, Hey, that's hurting you, dude. Not I'm better than you and you, you know, and you need to be perfect. And, and uh, so I'm excited about the podcast. I'm excited for the book and I'm praying the Lord uses it. I know in the writing of it, I wrote it, you know, we started writing it. I got busted a few years ago. And it's part of the story about, I was in a leadership position and I had become proud and it, And I needed a brother to hit me right between the eyes to go, whoa. And I was like, wow, how did that happen? And, uh, you know, that's part of the story of the book. Yeah. So um, here's a picture of the book for those watching Um, on the podcast. It's called The Revolutionary Disciple. And you can click on the link in the show notes of this episode in the description. You can also go to therevolutionarydisciple.com and you can get a copy of the book. Here's something else I want to say too. If this message is resounding with you and you're a leader in the church or for a nonprofit, we have designed a whole suite of resources for a six-week teaching series to supplement the book. 
So we've got teaching outlines, kind of prompts for you for these six weeks, group discussion questions, and short videos that go along with these six weeks. And there's a link for this suite of resources that you can license, um, and it's available through the publisher. So check out the link in the description. Um, you can also go to himpublications.com to find that um, search for the revolutionary disciple. Our heart is that we just want to serve churches. We want if we can, and again, we're coming at it from different ages, but if we can save you some of the heartache we've experienced because of our pride um, and, and the things we've learned since and we're still learning, then that'll be a success, man, because we're all on the same team and we're all seeking to follow Jesus together. So thanks for joining us for this podcast. And uh, we've got some more coming down the pipeline. I think we've got two or three more. And we look forward to talking more about this idea of walking humbly with Jesus in every area of life. So there you have it. That was Chad and Jim talking to us about their brand new book, The Revolutionary Disciple, which is available for purchase now at therevolutionarydisciple.com or you can go to himpublications.com and click on resources. Hey, before I sign off, I want to remind you to check out discipleship.org and look at the National Disciple Making Forum. It's coming up November 4th and 5th. We're going to have tons of speakers. I'm going to have the pleasure and privilege of leading disciple makers from all over the world in worship. It's going to be great. So go there. And if you want to buy a ticket today, you can use the promo code podcast, all lowercase, and get 50% off of your ticket. So go there and do that. All right, y'all. See you on the next episode.